I haven't always had control over the experiences that I've had in my life, but I have control over how I tell the story of them. I was thinking this is the greatest thing ever, and it is. My writing process is the same. I'm just a girl who likes to write. Oh, sometimes when you talk about the stuff that sucks, people will pay you money and you'll feel better about it, and then you can buy your Prozac. If you are waiting for permission to have a voice in this world and to tell your story in this world, then you're not going to get it. I'm Lux Alpstrom. And I'm Lee Stein. And this is The Binder Cast, a conversation series featuring our favorite women and gender nonconforming writers. This week, we're taking on the topic of collaboration. Lee, would you say that you're a team player? Absolutely not. I hate working on teams and in groups. Yeah, me too. I think that might actually be why I became a writer. You know, maybe I hate working on teams because I'm a dictator, but I'm also a show-off who wants all the credit. And I remember this anecdote my mom loves telling about when she came to visit my eighth grade science class. We had to work on a group project, and I was handed out the assignment, and I just delegated everyone's roles to them because I knew that I would be the one to tell them what to do. (laughs) Um, I stopped volunteering at a cat shelter because I was frustrated by the lack of organization. Uh, It was like herding cats. But I'm... Uh, I think it kind of underscored my issue with a lot of teams. People just assume that if you get a bunch of smart people in a room together, it's all going to magically work out. But, you know, if you don't have structure, it completely falls apart. So this week, we're going to talk about how to keep it from all falling apart. We took some tips from a writer who has collaborated professionally, Aparna Nancharla. She's a TV writer and a stand-up comedian. And since we recorded this interview, she's joined the staff of Late Night with Seth Meyers. But in the studio, we talked to her about the two years she spent at her first TV writing gig. FX is totally biased. A late-night comedy show hosted by W. Kamau Bell that took a humorous look at politics, pop culture, race, religion, and the media. Here are a few examples of how I've earned my street cred. One time I saw this on the sidewalk. Fresh pile of dog poop with a used condom on top of it. (laughs) I know, I was there. Uh, At which point I invented a new game called Too Much... Information or not enough? (laughs) There are no winners in that game, you're right. You just start an Instagram account and you keep it moving. Put it on the internet where it counts. So Aparna first did stand-up on a whim when she was home in D.C. during a college break. To her surprise, she really enjoyed the experience. And when she graduated college and moved back home, she decided to pursue comedy seriously. Over the years, Aparna performed at clubs and colleges across the country and even got the chance to work with some of her comedy heroes. In D.C., I got a chance to open for like a lot of comics I really look up to, like Maria Bamford and like Paul F. Tompkins, Eugene Merman. So pretty much any time I think I worked with someone I respected and they were like positive towards me, I think that was like very helpful in being like, okay, you're not crazy. Like this is something you can do. But even as she was racking up credits and kudos, she still had to find a way to pay her bills, 
which meant trying to figure out a way to turn comedy into a career. Well, the thing with comedy is it's kind of like it's it's a vague art form in that there's so many different paths. You could you can act, you can write, you can write a book, you could do so many different sorts of things and getting a job where you could support yourself fully doing comedy was like kind of just a big goal I had. So a writing job is definitely like a good way to do that. And it's like a good salary and like you are doing what you want to be doing. So I think that was a goal in the back of my mind. And I had been submitting to like many shows leading up to that. And, you know, they're all very competitive jobs. So you definitely get better at submitting, but sometimes it's you do feel like you're just sending your stuff out into the ether a little bit. But eventually, all of that submitting and networking and hard work put her in the position to join the staff of Totally Biased. So Totally Biased, I knew a lot of the writers before I started working there. It had a very stand-up, heavy writing staff, and I knew a lot of them just from doing stand-up and meeting them at festivals. And so I had sort of been in that way in that people who worked there were friends with me and, and we, like, enjoyed each other's comedy. But then the actual formal process was, like, one of their executive producers saw me do stand-up at a show in Los Angeles when I was living there and was like, oh, I think your voice might be a good fit for our show. Like, would you want to submit? So Aparna got a packet together and sent it in, only to get rejected in the first round of hires. But she remained committed, and when the show debuted, she watched it regularly, studying the tone and polishing her packet to fit what the show's staff was looking for. Midway through the first season, she submitted again, and this time, she got hired. One of the things that set Totally Biased apart was that, unlike most writers' rooms, it featured a diverse group of writers, including three talented women, which, sadly, is actually considered a high number. As Aparna got more comfortable in the writers' room, it quickly became clear to her exactly why diversity is important. I mean, one thing that I always find interesting is, like, people always talk about, like, the lack of women in late-night rooms and, like, what difference does it make. And it's interesting because Totally Biased was, like, you know, a black male progressive host from, like, the Bay Area. So it was, like, already a huge difference from a lot of other shows. Like, before the show went off on went off air, like, we had, I think, at the most... On our staff, we had three women at one time, you know, which is a lot usually by by yeah. late night staff standards. And I think one time we were pitching a story like the three of us, they had come out with like yogurt for men, like yogurt that was like catered to men or something. And we were like, that is kind of ridiculous. And so we were like sort of saying how like yogurt has always been like a female thing. And we were kind of just trying to address like gendered products, period, when it doesn't really make as much sense why the product is gendered. I just remember we like pitched that thing about yogurt and then like all the guys in the room were like, oh, is like yogurt a girl thing? And we were like, are you serious? Like, have you never seen a yogurt commercial? But it was it was like this bizarre moment of being like, oh, like if you have all men in a writer's room, they really, they can't represent like everything like they don't know everything about what's going on like you can't really argue with that when they're like clearly missing stuff that's like right in front of their face like just because 
you know, it's like the way you're socialized or the way society is set up. So that was like kind of a weird wake up moment of like, yeah, I don't think it's like a cop out when people are like, there needs to be like more diverse representation writers rooms because you can only really represent your experience. In newsrooms, for example, there are people who are really good editors or really good at tightening stuff. Like in a in a TV writer's room, are there people who are like really good at just coming up with a bunch of jokes versus people who are good at refining? I think so. Yeah, I think there are people who are very like kind of sniper level joke writers. And then there are people who are really good at like finding an angle on something or being able to like figure out the best way to tackle a story, which is like, you know just as important, sometimes more important when you're kind of under the gun. Also important, figuring out how your skills mesh with other people's and how to make a sketch come together even when you're not working with your favorite writing partner. Yeah, I think you always find people you work with better and just in terms of like either your sense of humor is aligned more closely or you just like your personalities work better And I think that's probably always the case where, you know, some people just like bounce ideas off of each other very naturally. And so you kind of find those people and then hope you can like write with them. But but I also found that was a good exercise in like learning to write with different kinds of people because sometimes the way you would be assigned things would more be like based on who was available. So you would kind of just have to learn to work with a variety of people. For some people, learning to work with others might mean learning to listen rather than talk or learning to be open to other opinions. For Aparna, it meant something a little bit different. I mean, I feel like generally I am pretty accommodating. So I feel like for me, it was almost having to learn the opposite skills, which was to like speak up when I like disagreed with something or be willing to like put an idea out there, even if I like didn't 100% believe in it, just because... Sometimes, like, when you're in a room, in a writer's room, like, it's almost like you just want to throw everything out there to get to eventually what the idea you settle on is. But you kind of have to, like, weed through everything first. So it's better to, like, have more on the table than less. So when we talk about collaboration, a lot of us just think of it as a group of writers coming together to bounce ideas off each other and try to create something. But for TV and film writers, there's also the collaboration between writers and talent and the knowledge that the words that you put to paper will eventually be spoken on camera by someone else. I found writing for a host, like, to be probably the most challenging part. Like, just, like, learning someone else's voice and then writing to that felt like a, like, tricky process sometimes. They would be like, watch these segments. Like, this sort of reflects a good like barometer of like what he speaks to and but I think it's still like sometimes a trial and error of like what jokes would work for him and which wouldn't but yeah I think it's like any other skill where it's just like you you learn over time you're like okay that he didn't like that so I'm not gonna write another joke like that I think I found it a little more daunting when they were like you know write something for yourself to put on air like Kamau and, like, the showrunner were very, like, encouraging of, like, having people 
get their stuff on air. And it was like a show where they were interested in hearing like a range of voices. So that Mm -hmm. was like a really cool thing. But then you were also like, what do I want to represent? Or like, what do I want to speak to? So in that sense, it was like, like, I guess whenever it's comedy with like a conscience or something, you don't want to like come out sounding wrong or (laughs) weird. But when it worked, it really worked. One of my favorite things was still, like, the first piece I did with Janine on air, which was about, like, women just having a moment in the media. And we just sort of, like, did a kind of good cop, bad cop thing a little bit where she was, like, we were both really excited about it. But then I was, like, got kind of militant about it. And she was, like, sort of, like, calming me down. I think in that sense, it is, for me, some of my favorite pieces to do on air were with other people. So I think... In that sense, like, collaboration is fun even when you're performing. So, Lee, are you uh, ready to quit book writing and find a job in a TV writer's room? I think I cry too much to work with a team of people. When I worked at The New Yorker for a year, I had my favorite stairwell where I could go cry and call my psychiatrist for Ativan refills. I, I used to cry. Now I'm kind of just a stone-cold bitch who makes other people cry, which might actually be another reason why I shouldn't be in a writer's room. Um, I Actually, if I'm being honest, I don't think I could deal with that much interaction with other people on a daily basis. So since the show ended, um, was it when the show ended, I guess, was it... More challenging to go back to just writing by yourself? It was and it wasn't. Like, it was nice in a way because stand-up is so... You have so much full creative control. Like, you write all of your own stuff generally and you perform all your own stuff and then you can decide whether... Like, you get the final say on everything. So it's so much different in a writer's room where it's like that is all sort of out of your control like you're not necessarily writing for yourself you might spend like hours on something that never sees the light of day so it's it can be more stifling in that sense or like frustrating if you don't kind of have the right attitude about it but as different as stand-up and tv writing are they also share a few similarities and Aparna found that her years in stand-up gave her some of the skills she needed to get through the tougher times in the writer's room. Pitching in a writer's room can often feel like an open mic where you're like, some stuff will hit, some stuff will just be like silence, and then you have to sort of talk your way out of it. But coming to it from a stand-up perspective, obviously, like, when your joke gets in, you're you're really happy about that and you feel proud of it. But then it's also like learning to be part of a group and learn that it's like not personal when your joke doesn't get in and sometimes stuff like stuff always gets cut from like scripts like no matter what even if it's funny like obviously the funniest jokes get to stay in but there are other jokes that you're like oh we can lose this one and a lot of it's just for time so you like can't necessarily take it that personally I think it's just like sort of taking the ego out of it where you're like this isn't personal if my piece gets cut or this isn't personal if like these jokes didn't hit like it's like everyone has good and bad scripts and everyone you know goes through good weeks and bad weeks so it's like keeping that in perspective can be like really 
helpful. Because if you are working long hours and like everyone's stressed out, you can sometimes just forget that it's not personal. Like emotions can easily get caught up in that when everyone's like tired and cranky. But for the most part, if you're just like, no, this is a job, weirdly, that can be helpful sometimes to not take it as personally. And even though working with other people often means seeing others succeed where you've failed, it also means getting validation that the work that you've put so much time and energy into actually might be something good. If people you respect sort of respond to your writing, you're like, okay, I'm not... Because sometimes stand-up is like in a vacuum where you're a little bit just your own critic, your own mentor. And then being in a room where you're like making other people laugh, you're like, yeah, this is what I do. And this is something I can do with other people. And it's for sure a confidence booster. One of the biggest confidence boosters? Getting a laugh from one of the staff's most experienced and most admired writers. I feel like one person on the staff who everyone looked up to was Dwayne Kennedy. He's like um, a comic who started in Chicago. And I feel like he was even kind of like a mentor to Kamal. But he was just like, he sort of had a relationship of like benevolent uncle to everyone because he was like a little bit older, but then just so funny and so like uniquely himself. And I think everyone was just like, oh, he's the best. And yeah, if you can make him laugh, it was a great day. Do you remember any jokes that you made that made him laugh? Well, we actually, for a while, like shared an office. So I think it was just like, it would be funny because I feel like just when he would come in in the morning, it would be like our little chit chat for the day. I'd be like, okay, try to say something funny, you know? Like even, it would almost be like off the clock would be like when you're like, okay, I'm going to try to get a laugh out of him. But he was like, you know, he's so nice. And like, he'd usually just take your joke and make it funnier. So you're like, great, that's all I can ask for. (laughs) And of course, watching someone else take your joke and make it funnier is all a part of the process. It's like sometimes you'll say an idea that, is sort of like lukewarmly received, but then it'll make someone think of something else that gets to a thing that we end up using. So it's like really nothing is useless. And for those days when you do feel totally useless, well, at least you can take solace in knowing that you're not alone. I mean, that is a weird perverse pleasure as a comedian is to like see your heroes not do well. Not in that you want to see them fail, but just in that you're like, okay, they they also go through this. Yeah, and it definitely seems like it would help in the team just to know, like, it's yeah. not just me. Yeah, for sure. I think that is actually a helpful thing that I found when I worked there was to just talk to other people about their frustrations and be like, okay, you're not just, like, in your head on this. Like, other people felt that, too. Aparna can be found on Twitter at Aparnapkin, which, yes, is a portmanteau of Aparna and Napkin. A-P-A-R-N-A-P-K-I-N. She's also on the web at aparnacomedy.com. The Bindercast is a production of Out of the Binders, Inc., a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to advancing the careers of women and gender nonconforming writers. For more information about Out of the Binders, Go to BinderCon.com or follow us at BinderCon on Twitter. This episode was hosted by Lux Altrom and Lee Stein and produced by Jennifer Lai. Our theme music is ready to go by Miss Eves and Quiche. 
Many thanks to Seth Lind.